Hello, it's Charlotte's sister C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and G&F Financial Group. Good afternoon and welcome to Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast. Today is Thursday, the 17th, and our podcast is taking place on the unceded lands of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Saniwatu's people. We acknowledge that we are visitors here and expect at some point a reconciliation to occur on all these lands. Um, I'm Charlotte Farrell, the host of Powered by Age. Today, we're going to be giving you more breaking news. Many people liked what Rosemary shared with us last week from the 411 Center. So today, she's going to be uh, bringing in another area that we get lots of calls of visitors about, which is housing. We also get a preview to next week, the kind of information people will get on what they need to bring to get their taxes. We also have Hannah Shen this morning, giving us another follow-up to the announcement she made last week about an upcoming conference. We're continuing on with Observing Black History Month, and we'll be sharing some pieces with that. And we have other people that will be uh, calling on, or that if you're on and you don't have your phone number sharing, let me just say welcome, and you can ask a question, or, as many people do, send an email to me at pbaafc at gmail.com. So what we usually do is with the earliest people that come on, they introduce themselves. And today, in connection with Family Day on Monday, I want you to introduce yourself and one person, some person that is a, your most memorable family member. So Neil was the first person on. Hi, my name is Neil Ryan. I am a retired poet. Uh, I write short stories and have lots of adventures. What did you want, the, the Charlotte? I'm sorry. The, oh, you... Your most memorable family member. Oh, family member. Well, my brother Don lived to be 90 years old. Uh, he was 11 years older than me, so uh, no longer. But anyway, uh, I, I wrote a poem about it, and, and I believe I have shared it, uh, called The White Ford Pickup with Texas plates yes. uh, that describes the joy of leaving him after we had our ritual breakfast together and then I had to drive from Wisconsin Rapids to Minneapolis to take the white Ford pickup truck back and the joy of being on the highway and having had the last loving breakfast with my brother, which was our usual 
Every time we'd get together, our parting would always end at a breakfast. He lived in the U.S. Uh, from when I was 15, and here we are, elderly, and we've done our ritual breakfast every time we get together. Was a joy. Was really a joy. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Leslie? Yeah, this is a tricky one for me. I don't know if I've mentioned my dad was one of 11 siblings, so I had lots of aunts and uncles and cousins, and they were all characters. My God. Um, but thinking about maybe my mom's side of the family, uh, just to nail it down a bit, I think maybe my grandfather, who lived with us um, from my grandmother died when I was three and grandpa came to live with us and he lived with us for, I think, 15 years. Um, left us to get married, believe it or not, at the age of 70 odd. Um, but he used to tell lots of wonderful stories about his childhood and growing up. Uh, he actually was, um, he went to work down the coal mines when he was 12 years old, uh, had a pit pony that was his job was to look after the pit pony and stories of uh, Nottingham, which is where he's from and stories about World War One as well. So and he was an avid fisherman. He used to tell us fishing stories, all kinds of wonderful stories. So, yeah. Uh, and I still remember the stories grandpa used to tell. Oh, thanks for sharing. I can picture that. Uh, Rosemary. Yes. Hello. Wow. I think for me, what struck me about that question was the first, it wasn't a person who came to mind. It was two people and neither one of them is actually related to me by blood, but they were close family friends who uh, I was encouraged to call auntie. So they were treated like family, but they actually were not blood relatives. They were both named Isabel. They were both from Scotland um, they were elders when I was a child. They uh, were in their 70s and eventually in their 80s when I knew them. And uh, they were polar opposites. Hmm. The Isabel number one was a very close friend of my mother's who when my mother came to Canada and worked, uh, and she came under the live-in caregiver program, Isabel was a veteran at being a nanny and kind of took my mom under her wing and became her second mom. And then when I was a little bit old, so Isabel was in my life from the day I was born. Met the second Isabel when I was a little girl. And the differences between them is the first Isabel was a very unhappy senior who couldn't wait to die. Hmm. And she talked about it all the time while she was babysitting me. It was lots of fun. <laughs> um, she was a very unhappy woman. The second Isabel was the most gleeful joyful, I can't think of the word, quite gregarious individual I ever met. She was still going to parties and dancing in her 80s. So I looked at the two Isabels as a little girl and decided I wanted to be Isabel number two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why, but I can picture those two. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Hannah? Hi, thank you for having me back. My name is Hannah, and I am a community-based researcher at SFU's STAR Institute, which stands for Science and Technology for Aging Research. I'm an embedded researcher at 411, so they're working in partnership. 
I had the opportunity to go back to Winnipeg this past week to help my parents retire. They've uh, been self-employed, so they had their own business, a convenience store, and they finally closed their shop and the new owner took possession. So I was helping my parents transition, <laughs> realizing that closing a business is a, is a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I, had, I hadn't been back home to visit my family in the past two years because of the pandemic. Um, so I the last time I saw my niece, um, she was just a wee little baby and um, I got to see her again and now she's a three-year-old. Um, so yeah, the most memorable person right now is my niece and who is rambunctious, full of energy, marches to her own drums. Her favorite word is no, which is good, I guess. <laughs> and uh, she's kids know how to set boundaries really well because they know what they like when they tell you what they don't like. Yeah. So that's probably my memorable person right now is my niece, Adeline. Um, that's her English name and her Korean name is Nabi. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay, so now we have this message of breaking news, which is beneficial, kind, exciting news. And uh, Rosemary is going to bring that. But I, you know what? I neglected to say my memorable person. I'm named Charlotte. I'm named after my grandmother, Charlotte. And uh, I was born in 1946 at a time that men were were still called up to war, regardless of whether they had children. So my mom moved back to Kansas City, and I got to be with my grandmother. And so many things that I do now are things based on things that she taught me. I learned how to cook. She taught all of the kids in the family how to cook when they were two. So each of my kids, I've had them on a stool, uh, either helping to break eggs, wash salad, wash different things, and they even helped over into my uh, career as a nutritionist. I did a project teaching these uh, preschool kids how to wash vegetables and their parents on how to include them in doing cooking. So Grandma Charlotte is my inspiration. And I also realized she was an entrepreneur. When I was a child, there weren't eight other kids there. They raised eight kids, six kids of their own, and two from family members who had deceased. And so I wonder, how did they take care of all of those kids? <laughs> and so she had chickens. She had 12 chickens. So now I put it together. By the time I was five, they didn't need to feed other people. She was selling eggs. Um, I used to remember on Saturday mornings, people would be standing on the porch and she made bread. And so I thought people were coming to pick up the bread. So one of my first jobs when I was 12, I got her recipe from my aunt and mother and I made her her bread and I had some bread customers. So just blessing the name of Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte Brown is my memorable relative. Um, okay, Rosemary. Oh, did you want me to start? Oh, yes. Tell us your role. Oh, okay. And the wonderful role at the 411 Senior Center, who is one of our sponsors. <laughs> I am, I believe, the newest employee at the uh, Senior Center. I've uh, been working here since October, and my role is to coordinate the senior services, which are primarily the information and referral program and the income tax clinic. Um, so information referral, I know I spoke a little bit about that last week, and it's hard to say only a little bit about it because it's a very vast topic. Uh, but the role of information referral is to, first of all, 
um, be a resource for seniors, uh, especially those who are struggling to navigate complicated uh, systems. Um, sometimes housing can be a very, and in fact, housing is a very complicated system, uh, income taxes, seniors benefits, and there's a whole host of other issues because when, when people become seniors, it's not as though all the other areas of their lives suddenly stop. So not everyone who comes to the center is necessarily bringing issues that are specifically seniors issues, but they are in some need of information or um, support, uh, practical support, maybe connecting to another organization or a service that uh, can help them navigate whatever it is that they need to deal with in their world and in their lives. The, the big things, however, that come through the door are Canada pension benefits, housing, uh, income taxes, for sure, because so many seniors' benefits are tied to having your taxes filed, and when problems arise. So the problem that we're seeing that a lot of uh, seniors are dealing with right now, uh, in addition to those three I, uh, I just or two I just mentioned, is um, the seniors who are cut off the CRB, uh, cut off the GIS because they received CRB. So when an issue like that arises within the seniors community, 411 is usually the first to hear about it because people come to our door saying, look, look what they did. And then they got the letter from the government or and either they're upset. I mean, I, I would be upset if someone cut my income by two thirds. I, I would be quite upset. Or they're they're presenting with a lot of questions. And, and often that's in some cases, it's the first time we're hearing about the problem. So we have to, first of all, make some phone calls, get on the Internet, find out what happened, what's going on and how should we be responding? What what do seniors need us to do to back them up? Housing, which is I know what you asked me to talk about today, is a big challenge for seniors. Uh, it's a big challenge for everyone in Canada right now. Uh, people in British Columbia are no strangers to ridiculously high rent rates um, that are often unaffordable on a single income. But that problem is spreading across Canada. Once Vancouver got too hot for the market, home uh, people who were in buying homes as investment, which is often what drives up the price of homes, it's become the new gold in terms of where to park your substantial savings if you're a billionaire or a millionaire. Um, people moved to Montreal and started buying up properties in Montreal. And then, uh, you know, people... It, the market has kind of spread across the country now. So as Montreal got unaffordable, people started moving out of the Montreal area. Now I'm hearing, and I just heard this on the news last week, the hot new housing market is New Brunswick, particularly the, the two big cities there is at New Brunswick and uh, St. John. Uh, Fredericton, I mean, and St. John. Because people can't afford to live in major centers like Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, etc., and so if they have the ability, maybe they're retiring or maybe their job is such that they don't have to be in one physical place to do it. A lot of people who left the Maritimes for work are now going back because they can't afford to live outside of the Maritimes or seniors are returning to the Maritimes because the homes are more affordable. But the, the result of that is that now housing prices are climbing in New Brunswick. So there's no real part of Canada that isn't being impacted by the high cost of housing. 
in British Columbia, uh, there are some measures to assist seniors and other British Columbians with the high cost of housing. And most of those measures are governed by the Ministry of Housing, or uh, as most people, most of us know it as BC Housing. That, that's the entity that operates all of the provincially subsidized housing in British Columbia. And what that means is BC Housing itself owns and operates over 350 buildings across the province where people live and pay 30% of their income for rent. Uh, but they also subsidize a lot of nonprofit housing societies and a few co-ops, um, which allows them to function as uh, subsidized housing providers independently in terms of management from BC Housing, but they get funding from BC Housing and they rely on BC Housing for a lot of things like advertising their um, vacancies, not their vacancies, but advertising their developments on the housing registry, managing the applications that come in and the applications never stop because everybody is looking for an affordable place to live and helping them manage their waiting lists. And, and the other thing that BC Housing does is provide subsidies directly to renters. Um, it's not the biggest role that they play. That most of the time they are per, they're subsidizing uh, housing providers so that they can offer subsidized units to renters. But one of the direct subsidies that most seniors uh, would be familiar with, of course, is the safer subsidy, which is money that is provided to by BC Housing. The type of subsidy is known as a portable subsidy, which means it's not tied to the unit or the home that you're living in. When you move, you can take that subsidy with you to your next abode. Getting a portable subsidy is considered like getting a, the golden ticket in Willy Wonka because then you get to live wherever you like and you still get support with your housing costs. I, I can um, imagine people come to you with, with such an array of things you help with you have to be set up to help with each of the different types it, it is because it's housing as you might be aware is a continuum as we get older sometimes we lose choice as to where and how we can live so that continuum would include supportive housing uh, long-term care facilities uh, and, and then palliative care facilities uh, Basically, housing is something that shifts and changes over the course of our lives. So, yeah, the stories we hear um, are everything from, you know, someone got evicted from their home because they were having trouble making the rent or for whatever reasons. And now they're looking for um, an alternative. Another story we hear a lot is about people living in substandard housing who want to improve their living conditions and they see subsidized housing because it's managed by the government as being a really good option for um, having a landlord who will actually fix things, for example. Um, so we hear a lot of stories about the various conditions that people's homes are in and what they're kind of putting up with from a landlord because they don't have the moving out unless they're moving into subsidized housing is just not an option. They're, in many cases, people's rents would double. The reason for that is that in British Columbia, once if, if you're a renter one, and you're in the private market, once you move into a unit, um, the landlord is limited by how much, what percentage they can raise the rent each year. And they are only allowed to raise it once a year, by the way. Um, so if you have many years of tenancy 
at a particular address, you do in effect have some rent control because um, the landlord can't suddenly jack the rent up by a couple of hundred dollars just because the market has gone up. Um, other tenants in the same building as you who move in later than you will be paying more rent than you are because of that protection. So when if you've been living in the same building for 10 or like myself for 20 years, you're paying a lot less rent than most of your neighbors, but your rental rate hasn't kept up with the actual market prices. So when you move out, your rent is doubling or tripling. So that's why many people will remain in place, even though they're unhappy with where they are, because they can't afford to move out unless they get a subsidy. And so they put their name on the BC housing list and they hope to be able to transition to subsidized housing or they apply for safer if it's an option for them. Yes, we do. I haven't actually helped myself with a lot of safer applications. I'm familiar with the program. I know the application process for the subs, the safer subsidy is more onerous and more detailed and involved than just applying for housing. You have to provide them with a lot of financial information. And if you were not born in Canada, they're also going to be asking you for a lot of information about your citizenship, um, your status and, and other additional questions that someone born in Canada wouldn't face. And that's because there are some uh, citizenship status um, criteria attached to the SAFER grant, as well as financial eligibility. Um, so there's quite a long list of documents that you have to show up with. And um, that one of the things we can help people with is uh, finding out which, because you'll get a list of documents and not every document on that list is going to apply to your life. Um, so we can go through the list with them and make sure, okay, you don't need to, the item two and three on the list, you don't need those. They don't apply to you. Just cross them off. Um, but you need to get item four, five, and six. And just to help them navigate that list and then maybe come back and put all the paperwork together in an orderly fashion so that the application is really easy for the BC housing people to read. Um, if there's information missing from an application, it will delay the processing. So we don't, and we don't want that to happen to people. We, and it just complicates matters more because then you have letters going back and forth. <coughs> housing, please send this. The person doesn't understand maybe what the document they're being asked to bring is. Uh, and it just, it just causes delays. So we want to make sure that people get a really good, accurate application put together before they drop it off at BC Housing that just makes everything easier for them. Rosemary, I have a question about, I think I heard you say there's a, a waiting list for subsidized housing. You, any idea how long that waiting list is? I don't know if there's a waiting list for subsidy. Oh, for subsidized housing. Sorry. Yeah, there is indeed a, a very, very long waiting list for subsidized housing. Um, the last figure I heard a few months ago was there's about 17,000 people on the BC housing list. Wow. People sit on the list for sometimes many years before they even get a housing offer from BC Housing. Wow. And so yeah, is so there sorry, is there any kind of um, like I, I did hear at one point that the list was five years. Um, but is there any way that, you know, if somebody is in desperate need that they'll get bumped up the list or is it strictly first come, first served? Uh, no, BC Housing, in fact, um, officially they don't keep a list. 
they have a database and they're mm-hmm. quite adamant that it's not the same thing as a list. Um, I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> but the difference is, is, is in what you pointed out. It, it's based on a, a, it's prioritized by need. Mm-hmm. So someone who uh, has greater need, uh, even though they may be fairly new on the list, could actually be higher priority than someone who's been waiting longer. And in the grand scheme of things, people at first go, well, that's not fair. But in the grand scheme of things, when you're dealing with with housing emergencies, um, it's actually, I think, the the most reasonable way to manage a list like that. Or else you're you're just leaving people in desperate need Mm -hmm. um, out in the cold while you house someone who might be managing okay. And I'm sure they could use the rent reduction. Maybe it'd be nice to have a landlord who painted the suite every few years. But they're actually they're they're okay, while the other person is sleeping on a park bench. So I, I, most people would agree that the person sleeping on the park bench should probably get the apartment first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I heard a horror story about a, a fellow that was handicapped and living in his van, and he'd been yes. waiting for years to get in. Um. I think some of that is about the housing stock and how limited mm. it is. But I really do think that some of it is about how complex the application program uh, process is and also how BC Housing manages the list. Mm. They have some rules like if they don't hear from you once every six months, they will eventually close your file. Mm. And then you have to start all over again. Um, They have a rule where they will show you three units. And if you don't accept the third unit, you go down to the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, these are about, I don't, I mean, I, I could guess why they do it. Um, I don't know what their motivation is, but the impact of it is, is that people, um, sometimes end up having to choose a unit and be, oh, this is my third offer. I've got to take it. Um, or if you are homeless, for example, and you are often moving around your couch surfing and stuff you may not receive those reminder letters and postcards from BC housing Mm. saying, don't forget to call us and update your application. And that's how a lot of people end up falling off the list. And often they're not aware that they're not on the list Mm. because BC housing hasn't heard from them. BC housing's closed their file. One day they call BC housing to see what's going on with their application. That's when they find out that their application was closed a year and a half ago because they hadn't contacted BC housing. So I, I, I think there's some uh, approaches to managing the list that BC Housing could change mm-hmm. that um, would improve that waiting period. Obviously, another big change would be to build more housing. Mm-hmm. And there, there are so many challenges attached to that. Um, I think they're doing a better job than they have been in the recent past. I can definitely say that. You mentioned, aside from the subsidy, um, some of the other subsidies people can get. So if, if the subsidy list is too long, what are some of the other ways that people get subsidized? Um, well, the, that, the subsidized housing list is 17,000 or so long, but the applic- I, I'm not aware that there is a waiting list for the actual safer subsidy. I just, I, it, there might be one, but I've never come across it. It's basically to quote, safer is the primary um Portable subsidy, the, the the money that you receive directly, as opposed to it being paid to a nonprofit that then provides housing. Safer is probably the one that most seniors um, 
a receive if they're receiving one. And the, the safer is designed to reduce your rental costs so that they become 30% of your income. The problem is, is that the rents are so high in British Columbia that many people who are receiving SAFER are still paying more than 30% of their income on rent because SAFER caps that 30% calculation at $803. So that means that if you are paying $803 a month for rent, you will get subsidized or, or $803 or less per month in rent and your income is low in relation to that rental amount, you will probably end up getting a, a check from Safer that takes you to 30%. But if like many seniors, you're paying $1,200, $1,500 a month for rent, um, they, that you'll get the full subsidy, but that will only subsidize you as though you were paying $803 a month. Mm. And that is, that is a, an issue that many, many seniors organizations around the province have uh, raised with BC Housing. And I know that our uh, Seniors Issues Committee, that's one of the issues that they uh, keep talking to um, our housing minister, uh, Minister Edie, about. Uh, I don't know when the last time that cap was raised. Um, I notice it's higher than it was a couple of years ago when it was like 700 and something. So obviously it's been raised recently, but I don't know anyone who's paying $800 a month for rent in Vancouver. <laughs> and that, that, those figures go down, by the way, as you get out of Vancouver. So they're regional mm -hmm. figures. So for example, if I can pull it up again, oh gee, it's a little bit less in the Fraser Valley. And then it goes down again if you're outside of, like in more rural parts of BC and maybe in rural BC, you can still find housing for $800 a month, but uh, the housing crisis has really spread outside of the cities. And we talked to um, colleagues in senior centers in rural British Columbia who are experiencing the very same housing issues and crises that we are here in Vancouver. There are a couple of things that you mentioned that highlight kind of the role of the 411 center with volunteers. Sometimes some people go to get help. People are impatient with them. But you have seniors, you have people with a heart toward helping. Can you mention some of the different ways that senior, the senior volunteers work with people coming in? Well, well, first of all, because they themselves are seniors, they often bring a lot more empathy and understanding and patience to the role. I mean, if you're dealing with someone who is angry um, and maybe you agree with them that the reason why they're angry is righteous. You know, they, they don't want to move out of their current apartment, but they can't afford the rent or whatever. There's more understanding of why the impacts. It's not just, oh, you're angry because your rent went up and you can't afford it. The snowball effect of that in the other areas of their lives is something that the seniors will understand. If your rent goes up, how are you managing with food? How, how, is your, how are you managing with transportation? Are you able to get out and see friends or family? Can you afford bus fare? Can you afford to go for a cup of coffee? People understand the, seniors understand the impacts of losing those things. I think a lot, when our funds are limited, our recreation and our, our, our social contacts also become limited and there's a greater risk of isolation. And that is a double whammy for seniors. So could you share again how people would get in touch with the 
how how do people get in touch with the four in one center and to have an appointment with a volunteer to help them? Uh, well, uh, we like to be as accessible as possible. We're very conscious of how the digital divide impacts seniors. So you can phone us. We, we still have phones. <laughs> and, and a human being answers our phone. You won't get one of those press one, press two, press three, press four. You will, when you call our main number, a volunteer senior receptionist will be the person answering that phone. And she's talked to lots of people like you before um, and knows how to assist your, make sure your call gets to the right person. Um, so that's a great thing to hear a human voice at the other end of the phone is a big, makes a big difference for a lot of callers. Uh, we do have an email address. It is contact 411 at 411seniors.bc.ca. And one of my roles is to monitor that email address and distribute the emails accordingly. So that's one way to get a hold of me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for explaining that process. And then also for having the option for the digital divide. When a lot of people don't have printers, the printers don't have ink, many documents that people are encountering today, it says download this or upload this. And that that can be extremely frustrating. So that's one of the services that happens for you when you go to the 411 Center. They can quickly upload, download, yeah. make a photocopy for you of things that are needed with no charge. Uh, sometimes, too, all we're doing for a senior is downloading a document for them and printing it. They are quite capable of filling it in, but like you just pointed out, they don't have the technology. So we we print the document. They say thank you very much. They go on their way and they fill it out. Okay. And so sometimes to, it's very simple. <laughs> give us a preview to what uh, Maggie's going to be uh, sharing next week in our breaking news. Is Maggie talking about taxes next week? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 411 also operates the largest volunteer income tax preparation program for seniors in British Columbia. Uh, we see uh, over uh, upwards of 12,000 or 1,200, pardon me, 1,200 or more people every tax season. And that's during our clinic. And um, this year, our tax clinic is going to begin on Monday, March the 7th, and we will be seeing clients uh, and assisting them with their income tax preparation right through the 28th of April. We can do current and past year taxes. So if you are a couple of years behind on your taxes and you're feeling a little anxious about that, maybe you're worried about your, uh, your uh, GIS coming, um, disappearing or being on the verge of disappearing, we can get you caught up on those tax years and get you all those GST payments. Because that's the beauty of doing several years taxes at once. You get all the refunds in one lump, you get all the GST money in one lump, and it's it's it can be quite rewarding. <laughs> I have witnessed that personally. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for letting us know, and we will look forward to continuing hearing about INR um, and Maggie, the treasurer, financial accountant, next week, telling you what you need to bring. Yes, and Maggie is very detailed, oriented, and extremely knowledgeable. So uh, you're very lucky to have her uh, giving you all that info on tax preparation. Okay. 
now we have more breaking news and announcement that ha uh, Hannah gave us last week that she has a little bit more detail to fill in this week. Yeah, I just thank you for having me. I'm just sharing this amazing news that um, 401 received. Um, so uh, we got accepted to attend uh, Horizons Conference, which is hosted by SFU's Community Engaged Research Initiatives. And that promotes social transformation and knowledge knowledge translation, which strengthens the relationship between academic scholars and community organizations, and to engage respectfully and ethically with community members. Uh, the purpose of this conference is to create a space for communities to gather for exploration, knowledge generation, and mobilizations on community-engaged research during the most disruptive and transformative era. Um, so 401 and STAR Institute will be participating at this conference to share our experience and knowledge on seniors overcoming the digital divide and how 411 and the STAR is using community-driven research to address the implications of aging in a digital world. Um, our goal is to understand and respond to the current digital divide crisis through engagement from our community members and learning from their uh, lived experiences. And how we will be Approaching this is through a roundtable discussion where we aim to challenge ageist attitudes on seniors and digital technology, inform academia and government um, agencies to include uh, seniors and senior-based agencies in decision-making process, processes that affect their daily lives. Um, so what does this mean to you? <laughs> Basically, we are looking to recruit participants to join us at the Horizon Conference, which will be held in person at SFU's downtown campus. Um, if you are interested and want more information on the Horizon Conference, please contact me. My name is Hannah. Uh, you can contact me by phone or email. Um, my email address is hannah underscore shin at sfu.ca or you could contact me by phone um, 604-684-8171. That is the Seniors 411 Center number. So I'll repeat that again, 604 6848171 please contact me if you're if you are interested or if you have more questions i could um if you do call me i could send you um information sheet which has more details about the conference um if you want i could also send you that by email um yeah, I would love to hear from some of you um, if you're interested in joining. This is a Vancouver-based. I know that there's uh, the podcast is for the wider audience, but it is Vancouver-based and it is in person. Um, so, yes, if you have any questions or concerns, please contact me. I will repeat the contact information one more time. What's, the date, what's the date again? 
it would be from May 26th to the 29th, I believe. Um, but for more information, um, I have created an information sheet, um, which lays out all the questions that you may have. Um, so I could easily send that to you by email, or if you want more information, please give us a call. I could also send you that information over the phone. So uh, the contact email contact is Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H underscore S-H-I-N at sfu.ca or by phone 604-684-8171. Thank you. Leslie, did you have a question? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Um, we are continuing with acknowledging Black History Month, and I have a couple of quotes I'm going to read, and then Neil and Leslie have some contributions. I have some more Black History Months to share from Danielle in Lee, biologist. Becoming a scientist meant I no longer had to wait for someone else to give me the answer. Chadwick Bozeman, Academy Award winner, the King of Wakanda, said the only difference between a hero and the villain is that the villain chooses to use that power in a way that is selfish and hurts other people. Muhammad Ali, boxer, activist, heavyweight champion of the world for so long, he who is not courageous enough to take risk will accomplish nothing in life. Langston Hughes, writer and activist, one of the classic black or Negro, what was called classic Negro poets. Perhaps the mission of an artist is to interpret beauty to people, the beauty within themselves. And now Neil announced at the beginning, he has something special that he's brought to read. Yeah. Um, I wrote this quite some time ago, but it's very appropriate for this being Black Month, Black History Month. 100 years ago, enlightenment began to emancipate slavery. That may yet exist, but slowly all will be free. Nations found it advantageous to form alliances and cooperate, become trading blocks of enemies with, and, but with bottomless budgets for war and insane abilities to obliterate people where not even bones remain to bury. Fifty years ago, a group called United Nations found a voice to show a path to peace. And occasionally war rages outside, above the din of battle, a weak voice can be heard, wait a minute, how do we stop this insanity? We are all looking for love and happiness. My children have suffered enough. The voice that carries this message grows steadily stronger. Ten years ago, technology brought the world within shouting distance of each other, and the spirituality of knowledge was open for all. Yet tribal rage still exists in parts of the world, but our enlightenment our enlightenment little by little grows. 
and soon the virus of peace will infect us all as we step by step move from the dark side we all come from and move inexorably into the light. Love that virus of peace. Wow. Yeah. If it could just be shared. Worldwide. Yeah, that was lovely. Neil. What was the title of that poem, Neil? Uh, I wrote it in 2016. Yeah, what was the title of the poem? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have a title for it because it's oh. the tail end of a of a quite a long speech, and it's the tail end. It's the concluding uh, three paragraphs of uh, uh, of a much longer document that I wrote. Okay. Okay. But I'd be happy to try and to <laughs> dig it out for you. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I was just curious. Yeah. Uh, okay. Leslie? Yeah, so I'd like to continue. I've been reading selections from 49th Parallel Psalm by BC poet Wade Compton. Um, and it's uh, it takes as its subject the uh, the migration of blacks from California up to BC um, during the Thompson River Gold Rush. Uh, they were invited by uh, Governor James Douglas, who saw them as a way of. Um, he was concerned about the threat of American miners moving into BC and BC actually becoming part of the states. So he saw this as a way of countering the influence of the white miners was to invite black miners to come. And last week I read a poem which they came with a lot of hope. They sort of looked at it as a chance to be free, to escape the specter of slavery. And this week uh, I've got three poems that are focused on numbers. One is called Douglas's Covenant. And these were promises that were given to the migrants. One, land can be purchased for one pound per acre. Two, a minimum 25% down payment on land is required. Three, the balance on the down payment must be settled in four yearly installments the down payment will run at 5% interest. The land will not be taxed until 1860. Holding land for nine months earns one the right to vote and sit on juries. Seven, after residing in the colony for seven years, one may take an oath to the crown and become Subject, Numbers, Roman, one. Counter to Douglas's fairy stories, franchise in the colony was exclusive to British subjects and only those with property, naturalized subjects faced a court of revision. 18 blacks who voted in 1860 had their vote discounted. The only voters whose exes were exed out. 
Two, the Victoria Pioneer Rifle Company, African Rifles, was composed of 50 black volunteers under Captain Fortune Richard. The point being to protect the colony from American annexation and the specter of slavery. Rusty arms, a self-built drill hole, uniforms designed and sewn by their wives, funded entirely by the black community, the sole militia in the colony. Douglas withheld funds. Fortune was denied his petition for arms and cash, while hundreds of rifles sat unused in Victoria's armory. Eventually, the core dissolved into a brass band. Three, Jacob Francis, lucky enough to have been born black in England, therefore a British subject, therefore allowed to run for office, lost a local election to a white opponent when the opponent was disqualified for being absent at election time. Francis, ostensibly the winner, instead was disqualified by the assembly on a technicality. His written petition was said to have too many erasures and interlineations in the body of the document. And so uh, the promised land was not exactly as promised. And a lot of the black immigrants actually moved back to the States after emancipation. And this is shown by my third little poem today, the biography of Mifflin Wistar Gibbs. Philadelphia, 1823. New York. 1849, San Francisco, 1850, Victoria, 1858, Queen Charlotte Islands, 1869, Oberlin, 1870, Little Rock, 1871, Tamatave, 1898, Little Rock, 1901, Kingdom Come, 1915. What was the significance of the dates? Uh, the dates were the years that uh, Mifflin Gibbs lived in those oh, areas. So as you see, he was born in Philadelphia in 1823, uh, lived in New York, San Francisco, then came to Victoria moved up to the Queen Charlotte's, but then moved back to the States. So um, Oberlin in 1870, I'm not sure. What year was emancipation? 1860, I think two and 65. Okay, so um, that was after emancipation then. He moved back to the States, to Oberlin. And then Little Rock and Tamativ and Kingdom Come, he died in 1915. So he lived a very long life. Um, Victoria, there was a, there's a research project going on where one person has gotten letters 
from 25 families and is working to trace back through family letters and is also arguing that letters written by family members are important parts of history where mm-hmm. it wasn't a historian documenting all the things that uh, the 600 people contributed, the businesses that were built, that she's tracing through 25 family letters. And so I, I think the expectation is that it will be a part of the library system in Victoria. Yeah, probably the Victoria archives, I would think, rather than the library, yeah. And I, I think, too, within uh, Black Studies <laughs> programs and courses, most of the time, the only emphasis that's given uh, is to Black people that moved to Canada from the Underground Railroad into Ontario. And there are, in fact, nine places. There is a, a Black Historical Society society and publication, Tourism. And this tourism publication is going to be featuring stories about these nine places because people want to come and see the history, the artifacts of those that came. So that's another thing, you know, with, with tourism being opened up again, that people who want to come and look at the uh, ancestral roots, the contributions and things that were made by black people in the 1800s in different parts of Canada will be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in Eastern Canada, I mean, the Underground Railway was so unknown and it was such a large movement. I think such a large population moved up to Canada. I think the problem in BC is it was such a small population and never really acknowledged by history. I mean, I think this is one thing that Wade has done is he did a lot of original research and, and brought the stuff into the light. Right. Well, at the annual, um, there's an annual festival of people of African descent, and there are these huge wall-sized uh, plaques that show the migration of people, how people came along, this, uh, at the porters that came here to Vancouver, the whole business development that, it, that was in the Strathcona era until mm-hmm. neighborhood, until it was demolished. But there were, were doctors, teachers, scholars, all kinds of things that happened in that area. And when they put the railroad, put the viaduct through, it broke mm. that community up. And now, you know, there's still a group that's working to get the Hogan's Alley reestablished and, you know, recreate a business area. Because there were so many musicians and people that came here, but it wasn't documented. People don't hear about Vancouver as a place that black people came, you know, when we were hearing black history and you know, in the States, of, of hearing about the migration of Black people into mm. Canada, or about the people in Newfoundland and what happened to Little Africa or Africville. Uh, when the British promised people they were going to take them to uh, Africa for helping the fight against the Americans, mm. and instead uh, they unloaded them with no supplies, you know, to survive in that area. Mm. Yeah, I think the point I was making is that it's been undocumented in BC. Yes, no. Yeah. And would you give the name of that book again? Yeah, it's uh, 49th Parallel Psalm. Psalm, P S A L M. Yeah, by Wade Compton. So people should be able to get that at the library. If it's not at the library, one of the things Vancouver Library System does, if people request a book, they will order it. And if enough people request it, they'll buy more copies of it. Yeah, I've got the publication information. Um, 1999, copyright by Wade, Wade Thompson, published by Advance Editions. It's Arsenal Pulp Press in Vancouver. And there's an email, www.arsenalpulp.com. Okay. Yeah, and Wade Compton also was involved in the Hogan's Alley Project, I believe. 
Perhaps we could get more of his works or have him as a speaker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, he's still teaching. Uh, he was at SFU. I think he's at Douglas College now. Okay, well, that brings yeah. us round to the end of our program. Thank you so much for what you have shared. Uh, next week, we will be hearing about what to do for our taxes. We will have uh, possibly a special guest from Rwanda. We're working on that. But whatever it is, just know that you are welcome to tune in, to not just be invisible on our Zoom. You can speak and talk, or you can listen to the podcast. You can listen to it on our website, poweredbyh.com. Um, and then it is also forwarded to anchor.fm and many other places where podcasts are heard. And there's a word called subscribe. Sometimes when people see the word subscribe, they're afraid that that means it has, that they have to pay. But in, instead, what subscribe means that it's documenting that somebody is looking. Nonprofit organizations like 411 Center and even the radio station, nonprofits uh, do not get a count. There isn't a nearly okay to have a count for who the visitors are. But when you subscribe to any of the podcast places, then that lets them know these are people that are listening to How Is That Age. So I will look forward to seeing you and hearing you again next week at 1. And Charlotte, this is Carol.